Yes, welcome to Motormania Dubai Eyes celebration of our obsession with cars. And we get some pretty cool invitations on this show. And earlier this week, I got the chance to visit the workshop where Dubai police keep their fleet of supercars. First Lieutenant Khalid gave me a ride in the new Mercedes AMG GT, which can go up to 312 kilometers per hour. This is what it sounded like. I was such a fun uh, couple of hours there uh, with uh, First Lieutenant Khaled. Uh, then we went for a drive. And as, as we were driving, I asked uh, Khaled the reason behind their supercar collection. We have Burj Khalifa. We have the most expensive things in the world, the tallest bridge and everything. So why don't the police, you know, have the same level of these things? It's not about just showing off. It's about showing how Dubai is. Tell me about this car. What's it like for you to, to drive first as a, as a car enthusiast yourself, but also what's it like to drive for you as a, as a, as a police officer? The duty is the duty. It doesn't change. Driving these cars put like maybe more pressure because you're showing the police. Yeah. Talk to me about the experience of, of what kind of attention you get driving this supercar fleet. Uh, Have you had a lot of interactions with members of the public while you've been driving? Yeah, public mostly they get surprised when they see them. Usually the tourists, because it's the first time seeing them, they get surprised. Some of them ask us to stop to take pictures, follow us. Because normally it's the police asking the public to stop. Yeah, yeah. But this time the public are asking you to stop. Opposite, yeah, because, you know, some of the people, uh, they only look for the cars. We had some requests that some people came from outside to see the, uh, these cars. They want to take pictures. Some of them, they try, they're telling us, what can we do to get inside this car? Do we do crime? Do we, we, <laughs> no, just come and ask us and we'll let you do whatever you want. Don't do anything bad, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we typically, when we see these cars in the media, they're parked up outside tourist spots. You mentioned the Burj Khalifa earlier. That's yeah. one, one place we've seen them. Is that kind of part of the regular patrolling responsibilities? Yeah. These cars are tourist police. So our uh, main places to patrol are the tourist attractions, like Burj Khalifa, as you said, Dubai Mall, uh, JBR, City Walk. This car, as I said for you, it is the latest car. So the usual police systems are not installed in it. Because there's a lot of red leather here um, at the moment, and I'm, you know, so are we going to see, uh, you know, we're going to have all of the 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 audio and the the radio systems and yeah, the. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we put on it the uh, basic, uh, the basic instruments like the audio and the computer. Right now, we just have the sirens and the lights, so it it gets updated from time to time. Yeah, that, I can see these are the lights up yeah, there. Yeah, the lights are interior police light, not like the usual one. It comes uh, inside the car. They are small, one, uh, two in the front and one is in the back. 
How does it work in terms of fitting these cars out with the necessary equipment that you need for the day-to-day -day job? This one, we have the teams we have, as you saw in our workshop just now. There, they have the special teams that do it. That's why I'm telling you, you cannot do it fast as the normal cars. You need some time to adjust it for the car. So the, you picked this one for us to, to come out and have a ride in because it's the newest one. Yeah. What's the fastest car in your fleet? Uh, I think this one will be the fastest one right now. And have you tested that theory? No. <laughs> <laughs> we're the police. We cannot do Usually, as I told you, we're the police. The public see us. If we're going fast, doing this stuff, it will look bad. But these, they're not just for show though, are they? If, if, there, was a, if there was an emergency, if you saw, a, as we're driving along now, if you, if you had to respond to a crime, you would be able to do that? You would do that? Yeah, see, uh, most of the team, the people who drive, most of them are trained police officers. And even we have lady uh, police with us. As I told you, we are not like the usual police cars. We go to tourist location, we help tourists. But if we saw any problem, maybe car accident, someone having trouble, anything, we can respond to that. And we call, as you say, backup, so that the police car responsible for this location will come and continue the process. But we respond to problems. We give uh, ticket fines. Some people think we do. <laughs> we do give <laughs> ticket fines. It's a normal police car, actually. How do people feel? Do, do you find that people respond uh, differently, maybe a little bit better when they're pulled over by you in a supercar versus uh, a normal police car? Yeah, see, normally they be happy. After that, they go to their uh, problem. <laughs> then they realize they have to pay the fine. Yeah, and it's... yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, is there a vehicle that you're actually really hoping that gets added to the fleet in, in the future? Uh, we have all the cars, so I don't think it will make any difference, yeah. <laughs> really, there's nothing, there's no car at the end uh, of the see, rainbow? See, uh, any car that comes, it's okay because, you know, it's a supercar. Yeah. yeah, but uh, for the cars we have, we're also, like you say, grateful. Yeah, so anything that comes more, it will be more exciting, yeah. Now, how many cars exactly is there? Uh, right now, we have 14 cars. 14 cars. And so that's probably two, around two cars a year on average. Yeah, yeah. Are you um, surprised how much the supercar fleet has grown over the years? Did you ever think it would become this extensive a collection? I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're talking Aston Martin, Bentley Continental, Bugatti, Veyron, the Ferrari FF. I mean, it's just an incredible collection of cars. Uh, actually, we're aiming for even higher. Really? Yeah. People enjoy it. People like it. Most of the people, they want to see the police cars. They require the police cars. People come from outside the country to see it. There's a push towards electric as well. We um, have, oh, actually, we have some hybrid cars, like you saw in the garage, the i8 and other cars. So there are some uh, hybrid and electric cars available in the fleet, yeah. What about uh, kids? Because this is for tourists, but it's also for um, yeah. the, the, the children as well, re yeah. local children, resident children. Kids love these cars. They get excited about them. How are kids able to kind of enjoy these cars as part of the experience? Uh, mostly when we are on the patrol, the kids come, they ask questions, they take a seat. If the parents allowed, we take them in a quick round. It helps them, you know, feel safe. Yeah. They love the police more. 
Some uh, children, they are scared from the police, you know, when you tell them, oh, don't do this, I'll call the police, they get scared of the idea of the police. We show them that, no, we are your friend. Whatever you need, whatever problem you have, you come just tell me and I'll solve it for you. Like I told you before, there was one case, the parents required us to come to the house, to the children, and we went, we gave them a present, we took them on a tour, we sat with them. After that, the fear is gone. That's not something that necessarily you would find in, in every country in terms of the police making sure they give the time back to the community in that way. Part of our job is making the community feel safe, making the community think, you know, get the idea that we're helping them. This is very important. If they feel comfortable, they can talk to us. They saw something wrong, they can call us, they trust us. So the community actually is very important for the police. I know from watching documentaries about British police mm. that sometimes if somebody's got a, a supercar in the UK, it can actually outrun a, a British police car, you know, if there's a chase. Mm. But um, I'm guessing that's not a problem here with the supercar fleet in Dubai. You are living in Dubai. We have so many other things that can catch this one without chasing because uh, the chasing, it makes, you know, too much problem in the process accidents maybe yeah. yes. so letting him go we have cameras we have speed cameras we have everything so usually chases as you see there's no chases in dubai so it's like this first lieutenant Khaled, thank you so much for uh, giving us a, a, a drive i really appreciate it you're welcome it was our pleasure to have you here with us it was a real uh, honor to have that experience because they get nearly a thousand interview requests a year. So I was uh, very, very privileged and, and lucky to have that experience. This is Motormania with Ray Addison. There's more coming up on Dubai I 103.8. Good morning, Damien. Good morning. How are you doing? You had a busy couple of weeks? It's you know what yeah it has been um, yeah the, the 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 motoring scene and the motorsport scene just seems to have kicked off now that uh, yeah. you know we finished that lockdown and all that sort of stuff earlier and uh, it's flat out everyone's playing catch up yeah you had the chance to, to get out on the highway uh, put the revs up and blow blow away the cobwebs yeah I did actually uh, <laughs> I, I went <laughs> I went down to Chapel Jace mm-hmm. and um, and and re-explored that fantastic mountain road oh, so yeah. uh, down at Russell Hamer, um with a couple of nice cars so yeah. It's, You've got to do it. You got to do it while you can when the weather's good around here. I tell you, that is that is probably like the number one road trip at the moment. I'm seeing so many, you know, on on social media, on Instagram. I'm seeing so many of my friends are actually heading down there, and it's just, I mean, it's just stunning landscape. Yeah, and and they're doing so much work on it. Every mm. time you go there, there's something new. So there's a nice little restaurant at the top, and of course yes. they've got the big zip line and uh, lookouts everywhere. They're doing an amazing job down there. It's it's it, really is one of the world's best roads without question absolutely uh well let's get into some of the the latest uh news and aston martin has launched its first suv and you actually got the chance to review it what's happening there yeah i mean this is the everyone's going into suvs and so aston martin are now taking on bentley's bentayga and the lamborghini urus and uh the porsche cayenne turbo um with their car the dbx and uh that was actually the car i took down the jebel jays it was fantastic um, it's a four-liter twin-turbocharged V8. It's AMG sourced engine, Mercedes sourced engine. Because now those companies are are working together. AMG and Mercedes are bought into Aston Martin. Mm-hmm. So 550 horsepower. It's the same engine out of the DB11 sports car. Uh, 700 newton meters of torque. Um, phenomenal performance. It's 
four and a half seconds, 100 kilometres an hour, 291 kilometres an hour top end. Um, wow. And, and it's about 30,000 dirhams, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> we wish. You, 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 you know Aston Martin depreciation too well. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not fair. No, it's just under 850,000 dirhams wow. at the moment. Um, but it's a stunning car, and it looks amazing. I mean, Aston Martin, it just looks glorious. So how, did, how did you feel taking that out on um, on, on your road trip to Russell? Okay, were you a little bit nervous being you know in charge of such an expensive vehicle or, or, or in your comfort zone? Uh, I, hate to, I really hate to say it, but I've felt in my comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's not an intimidating car to, to drive. Once you get into it, it kind of... The thing is, it doesn't look like a big car, mm-hmm. and a lot of people kind of mistake thinking it's more mid-size SUV, but when you actually look at the distance between the two wheels, the wheelbase is actually quite long, so the designers have done a great job to mm-hmm. disguise the size of it. And it is a big car, but it doesn't feel like it when you're inside it, and it feels... More like a car than an SUV than compared to, to many others that I've driven. It's uh, it, it it's a yeah it's a, just a very easy car to, to get used to and to you know drive pretty quickly with if you feel like it. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on to story number two. Uh, the electric revolution is getting ever closer. There's been a fall in battery prices for uh, for electric cars. Yeah, I mean the 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 the, the big. This is the big war now in terms of bringing battery prices down. Mm. Uh, General Motors announced uh, that they brought they're bringing their, their their price down to this magic hundred US dollars per kilowatt hour. That that seems to be the the, the breaking point where it makes EVs uh, comparable to to regular cars to 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 run. Yeah, um, it doesn't take in the the cost of you know the new car comparisons because they're still paying a, a premium for an EV, but you know. They're coming down there, and as a result, Tesla counted straight away and said, "Yep, we're we're going to, um, you know, do we'll, we'll, we'll be way under that." But you know, it's slowly fallen from in 2010 it was about eleven hundred dollars, mm-hmm. 2017 it fell to two hundred nine dollars, then one hundred fifty six, and now it's uh, with with General Motors and Cadillac are, are leading it because Cadillac's actually switching to being an, to being an EV brand, um, right. and they'll be. They bring it down to that hundred dollar mark. Yeah, yeah. I saw that Tesla was saying that um, they're going to be launching a bargain basement Tesla model from twenty five thousand dollars. I mean, that's not bargain basement for me. That's still that's still a lot. I mean, there's quite a long way to go, really, isn't there? Yeah, it is, and and that's the thing you you have to take into consideration when you're buying an EV. You mm. we, we, you know the depreciation is more than a than a petrol car. Certainly, when you're running it, and at the moment in the UAE, it's free charging. Mm. Uh, but that will that will expire at the end of next year, and then it's twenty nine fill per kilowatt hour. So if it's a ninety kilowatt hour battery. It's ninety times twenty nine fill is what it will cost to charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so still a lot lot cheaper, but uh, you're paying a lot more for the equivalent. If you compare it the exact same car as an EV to a petrol, yeah, you're looking at you know sixty percent more sometimes to buy that car. So. Yes. Yeah, still an expensive proposition, but it's going in the right direction. What about life expectancy of the vehicle? I mean, do do we know enough about um, electric cars' sort of long ter- longevity to to know whether an electric car will actually survive longer than a than a petrol car? Yeah, that that's the big question at the moment, and that is still a bit of an unknown. Mm. Uh, we're at that stage now with the early hybrids, where the batteries aren't needing to be replaced, the first Toyota Prius and that sort of thing. Uh, and the batteries are extremely expensive to replace. Mm, mm. Uh, we're talking fourteen, fifteen thousand US dollars to to replace a battery. So it's like getting a new engine in your car wow. is probably the best way to to assimilate it. Um, at the moment, the car companies are working out, you know, trying to do deals. 
I've heard I've heard anecdotal reports from one particular, one or two particular car companies where they've actually just gone, we'll, we'll, we'll cop the brunt of it yep. because we didn't expect the price to be that much and they've worked a the deal out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that's definitely because it's getting down to the cost of the actual battery is the most expensive part and it's because it's the rare me- the, the rare metals that are inside it and that's uh, that's, a, that's a whole other issue for it's another science. day. But <laughs> yeah, it's a whole science thing. <laughs> uh, let's co- let's yep, have a look at um, Formula One and uh, Lewis Hamilton's actually on the verge of clinching a record equaling seventh world champion. He's just uh, champion He's just unstoppable, isn't he? Yeah, this could be this could be the weekend tomorrow. It looks like he might more than likely will equal Michael Schumacher's record of seven world championships. Mm. Just phenomenal. I mean, the way you know, a lot of people going about how it's boring to watch Formula One at the moment. It's always Hamilton. Yeah. But you've, we're going we're to look back at this in ten years' time and go, "Wow, we lived through that era of, of utter dominance by one of the world's greatest sportsmen." Phenomenal. So I'm just enjoying it while it's here. Although practice, uh, second practice didn't go very well for the Turkish Grand Prix um, and he was disappointed afterwards. Let's just hear from him quickly. It was a bit of a disaster today, to be honest. I think, uh, oh, I don't know. This track is, is such a fantastic circuit and I really don't fully, fully understand when they spend millions to redo a surface of a track. I know it had been sitting around for a long time, so they probably could have just cleaned it maybe instead of waste all the money. And, and now the, the track is um, it's worse than Portimao was when we had the brand new surface there. And so the, none of the tires, or for us at least, the tires aren't working and um, it's you see it, it's like an ice rink out there. And so you don't get quite the enjoyment of the lap as you would normally get uh, of in Istanbul. And I don't see that changing. Paul Lewis not entirely happy there with the lack of grip uh, ahead of the Turkish Grand Prix, which is tomorrow. Um, has he got legitimate yeah. gripes there, do you think? Yeah, absolutely, because you know they, they haven't used the track for, for a number of years. They've just resurfaced, and, and contrary to what he said, they actually, they actually did clean it, but they cleaned it too well. They washed the track, yeah. which is something you probably should not do because it's taken all the rubber away, and so it's massively slippery. And in fact, there were uh, a, a guy in pit lane sent me a, a video last night of guys taking their rental cars around during the night, just just trying to put rubber on the track, just just you know trying okay. to get some some tire squeal on their rentals to try and put <laughs> rubber on the track because there are no support events. There's no other events happening. Uh, it's just Formula One and nothing else this weekend there. And yeah, it, it really is. It's because it's 13 degrees Celsius. It's freezing cold, so there's no temperature, and it makes it incredibly slippery. So yeah, Lewis was. Uh, was eight tenths off the pace, which in F one terms is a, is a you know a million years. He was about fifth yeah. quickest yesterday, and uh, but you know he'll get back. I'm sure. Damien, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, will you join us next time? Pleasure, Thank absolutely. <laughs> thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Chat to you next. All good under the hood. Ladies, start your engines. That's the first thing you'll see when you go on the website of the Arabian Gazelles. It's an exclusive all-female supercar club here in the UAE. And they're growing really fast as well. They're, they're on the road, they're on the racetrack as well, and they're out to break stereotypes about women and driving. Uh, Gada Sawalma is the CEO of Gargash Hospital. Uh, she's a member of the supercar club, the Arabian Gazelles. And I went for a ride with her in her Rolls-Royce Wraith, and she explained explained how the club got started. It is the first all-women supercar club, and it was started by Hanan, and she's a very close friend of, of mine, and uh, she brought us all, all women together from different backgrounds, different, um, I mean, people with different hobbies, people with different uh, jobs, and, and she just brought us all together, and that's, that just made 
like for a person like me that works in a hospital all day I don't have the time to go and actually make new friends mm-hmm. so it was much easier through this 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 club and you felt that people understood there was something in common which was cars and love of cars it takes your mind off of everything and you just go and drive somewhere for two three hours and it's just amazing to reconnect with your friends as well who are also busy absolutely so it, it really it really is um, something different for for ladies and, and how does it differ because there's a lot of men's car clubs around yeah. isn't there is it is it a lot different from them number one it's all women <laughs> <laughs> and I mean come on can you imagine women all fabulous and decked out in amazing cars as well and a lot of them are quite good racers as well yeah. my, myself included and when we do end up having a day on the track it's just fabulous high heels you know done up makeup hair and racing down the track and seeing who wins at the end and it's, it's just something completely different than the guys all testosterone filled and it's just aggressive this this has some glamour to it absolutely and do you um, tend to do the same kinds of activities as the, the men would do or do you like to think that you guys are a little bit different in terms of what you get up to I think the kind of, of um, well different kinds of combinations and motorsports or events that we end up going to are a bit more um directed to towards women uh, which I find suitable but we do end up doing some of the same things that men do when it comes from a racing or from a from a parade or from a rally perspective I haven't really been to many of the guys ones but if it if, if it hasn't caught my attention that means it's not that interesting for me. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about um, supercars what why why supercars is, is that like the price of entry to the Arabian no, gazelles no, no. It, you have to have a special car it doesn't have to be a supercar like for example a Wraith isn't really a Rolls-Royce race, isn't really a supercar from a from a, um, a speed or performance perspective from like a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or Marshallag, like sorry, um, um, a Zonda or whatever it is, but um, it is a luxury car, it's an right? Amazing car, it's yeah. a different car. It's it's something different. So when the entry the entry basically is that you have to have something special, something different. So r- rattle us through some of the. Um, the- the, the, the makes of, of car that the women own it the, who are in the club um, so there are there are quite a few uh, Lamborghinis of course there's around three McLarens if I remember correctly Hanan has one there are quite a few Bentleys not many Rolls's but then a Rolls is quite a big car for a woman to drive Right. I mean you're in the car right now and you can see it's not a very small car yeah, even though it, it's a Wraith <laughs> yeah but it's I mean I, we, when we met you had to drive out of the parking lot yeah. and I was saying that there's no way I would want to have to try and remove <laughs> no, this, yeah. this car out and yeah it was absolutely no problem for you yeah but, but that's what I'm saying not a lot of the women do drive uh, um, um, Rolls Royces but there are quite a few Lamborghinis Ferraris I mean they're amazing cars and the women some of them really know how to control those engines because I've tried to drive a Lambo once and I was like okay reached to a certain point I'm like I need to be on a track not on a road <laughs> yeah. well talk to me about the, the Rolls then this this amazing vehicle that we're in it's not just um, you know an amazing car everybody knows about it but the, the actual the colour scheme is a bit different as well isn't yeah, it yeah it's uh, well when we got this electric blue as soon as we saw it I was just like yeah that's that's the car I want and with I mean the bright red on the inside as well it's just it's, it's young because a Rolls can always be, you know, oh, it's an older person, especially yes. an older man's car, you know, someone in his 40s, 50s. Phantom is for someone in their late 50s, 60s. That's what you usually associate it with. It's just so smooth that sometimes when I'm on my way to Abu Dhabi, well, before lockdown, you don't notice how fast you're going. It's something different compared to all of the other cars that I've driven. Once we saw this one, we're like, okay, yeah, 
that's the car. Thank you very much. We're taking you home today. <laughs> My mom drove her car. I took this car, and it's just been with me since that day. <laughs> it's it's one of those. I mean, you see the rolls uh, rolling along the the road in, in Dubai or in the UAE, and everybody stops and and, and stays. I, I, I People will move that, out of your way. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but I tend to think supercars. Uh, you know, they can be quite divisive sometimes. You know, you either love them or you hate them. The design. I, everybody loves Rolls Royce. It's a sign of of opulence, right? Since it's development, when you say that I have a Rolls Royce, it's opulence. It's like you've you've gotten there, you reached there, yeah. you know. And you know we're at a hundred, and we don't even feel like we're driving a hundred. It's like we're driving sixty. I don't know exactly. <laughs> I, I felt like I was. Yeah. You know, and we're at a hundred. It's just it's just something different. And there is a kind of respect. And also, let's be very honest. Nobody wants to hit this car with the insurance. <laughs> okay, you don't want to. You don't want to do that. <laughs> In terms of stereotypes and uh, the perception of, of women as car owners and uh, of drivers. We've seen changes uh, recently in the region, you know, uh, obviously we've seen some, uh, the law change in Saudi as well. Yeah, yeah. How much do you think perceptions are changing or do they need to change more? I think they're going on the right track. In, in the UAE, we've always had a vi the vision or the, the, the opportunities for women to be able to go as far as they can go in whatever in whatever field it is, whether it's driving, whether it's racing. Saudi, well, they're, they're, they've, I mean, Saudi women were driving outside of Saudi. Yes, it's changed now in Saudi. I think they have a bit of a way to go before they get to the standard that we're at mm -hmm. in the UAE where women for, for leisure will go for racing. I see that we're right now we're at an equal pace with the men in the UAE yeah. when it comes to, to these things. You know, you, you don't find it that, oh, you know, only men are racing or only men go on tracks or women shouldn't be or shouldn't. There's no more shouldn't. There is when can I, yeah. which is refreshing especially for, for, for the younger generations that are coming in. Like, my sisters love the concept. And I was like, you first learn, get your, she just got her license. I'm like, first practice, then we're going to talk about racing. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your, your passion for racing. When you're in a safe environment like a track and you understand your car, you take the first lap, then you take the second lap, then you just go for it and you gun it. But you're in a safe environment. It's just that adrenaline rush, but with safety. You know, you enjoy yourself. You enjoy... The feeling of freedom, but power. You might find yourself in the middle of the day where you can't really exude that kind of, maybe a form of aggression. There's a bit of aggression in yeah. there because you have to control the car. It's an engine. I do find it a, quite a release from that perspective. The, the way that the adrenaline hits you, the way that you, you, you understand your car more, the way that physics, it affects you in a different way. Yeah. And that's where I, where I find it fun when, when, when it comes to track and racing. Yeah, for me, it's more of a, a release from stress, stress and tensions of the day-to-day -day life, you know? And have you ever found that you've kind of pushed it too far and, and, and thought, whoa, you know, I need to, I've kind of, I've found my, my limit or I need to back off or no. have you not reached that point <laughs> no. yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, my mom always used to tell me, Khadi, you're going to go for these races. I don't want to know about it. <laughs> no, because as I told you, safe environment. If you understand cars, all, I mean, all my cousins are, are males and boys and they were always into cars and things like that. So from a young age, I understood certain basics about cars. So when I got older and I got my license, I started driving and learning how to drift and things like that. You just figure it out and you start to understand the car from a different perspective. You have to understand the car. You don't just jump into a car and say, well, I'm going to do donuts. No, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Or I'm going to go track. No, you have to understand the tires. What's going on? Is there grip? Is there no grip? Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Which I learned the hard way. But uh, it wasn't scary, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All good under the hood.
Yeah, you've been listening to my chat with Garda Sawalma. She's the CEO of Gargash Hospital. She's also one of the Arabian Gazelles, the all-female supercar club making waves here in Dubai. And they're very exclusive, but they're also very active in the community as well. They work with a lot of organisations. And during our journey in her Rolls-Royce Rafe, Garda told me about a recent collaboration. Well, one of the, the, the most amazing ones that recently we worked with was Senses, which is a non-profit organisation that um, helps um, uh, children with disability. Mm -hmm. I thought that that was something completely um, amazing to be tied up with because you wouldn't associate supercars with with that, but it's 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 a non-profit organization. So the fact that women that have the means yes. uh, to to have these cars can donate. So that's what we did. We went there and we donated food, uh, non-perishables. And we sat there, learned about it for, for a bit. And we do have some gazelles also that have children of special needs and they got to learn about this, this place. That was one of the ones that really touched my heart recently. The other ones are more of the glamour side, of course, when it comes to, you know, spas and, and car triathlon. I don't oh, remember yeah. what it's called, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, like a race, yeah. but involving physical activity as well. I was not a part of that one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there, there are different ones, uh, but that senses one really, really stayed in my mind. And it's something that actually I myself I'm, I'm planning to continue it because we just did it maybe two months ago, three That's months nice. ago. Yeah. But it was a very good one. And there's more coming around. I think there's um, the largest female um, driver's parade coming up in, on, on the 2nd of December. There is a rally that's uh, happening with 100 female drivers and the gazelles are opening the, the, um, the parade. And it's all female drivers, and I think that's pretty cool. Although at first they wanted it to be a race, yeah. hundred women racing is not a good idea. But um, <laughs> Why? on a track, can you imagine? A hundred? No way! <laughs> and in their own cars? No, no, no. That 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 would be. A, you have to. What did I say? You have to be safe. Yes. You know, you have to be yeah. safe. Yeah. I don't think you've mentioned to me yet your how where your passion for cars came about. I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you know, growing up in Dubai and, and the UAE, you will have seen My many be beautiful cars and your family as well. But you know, what about TV influences and media influences? Did you did you did you grow up watching? Uh, Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> yeah, all these kinds of things that I watch. Cars, well. cars. It was my grandmother. She was the first female driver in Dubai. Wow, yeah, I did so, not know that. Yeah, she used to have, uh, if I remember correctly, it was a Volkswagen. If, yeah, and uh, she was the first woman to drive a car in, in, in Dubai. And those days, it's kind of like, what a woman's driving a car. This is what men do, you know. But uh, she used to have, she actually had gloves in the glove compartment which I thought was always so chic and she always used to get dressed up and she's like, yes, I'm going to go and do this. And it was an empowerment thing, right? Yes. It's freedom and empowerment. So the fact that she could get behind the wheel and go to the supermarket on her own, you know, to go to visit her friends on her own, to drive the, the kids, me and my cousins around, you know, like that for me was like the epitome. I was yeah. like, yeah. 18, two weeks later, I had my license. That's it. I <laughs> want to be like grandma. Yeah, you know, it was, it. I think that's, the, that was the thing that pushed me into cars and she used to love getting different cars, mainly Mercs, but she used to love having different colors, different sports, like she'd have a sports um, coupe, then she would have a salon and then she just kept changing them every year. Yeah. And that's where my love came from, for cars. Have you got a lot of cars, a large collection? Um, no, well, I mean... Because you, you gave me the choice between the, the Mercedes uh, SLS Roadster yeah. or, or the Rolls-Royce. I went for the Rolls-Royce because I just really wanted to Because the other ones so. are more day-to-day, -day, so we've got a Porsche 911 Turbo. 
which I felt wouldn't be very comfortable for, for, for both of us to be in. I mean, we've got some day-to-day cars. We've got like three G63s mm-hmm. in front of the house, different colors. <laughs> and then I think 155, which is an older one that we don't want to get rid of. Um, we have a Jeep for the desert, bright yellow one. BMW X5, the 2021 one for the house. I mean, yeah, we've got a few cars, but my cars are the SLS, the Rolls, and the G. And is there anything else on the wish list for the future? Yes, I do want a Ferrari. A <laughs> bubblegum pink one. Bubblegum <laughs> pink. Bubblegum pink. I mean, I just feel like Same it's Same color as your face mask now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just always, since I was a kid, I remember I saw it once. on. I think it was for Paris Hilton or something. Mm. Not that I'm a massive fan, but it was like, that is weird. You know, you see red, you see green, you see yellow. I, I was like, bubblegum pink. Well, maybe. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> but what about the um, the practical side then of, of being a, a car owner uh, and belonging to the car club? Do you, do you actually get involved with the maintenance and the, the sort of physical repair side of the car as well? Or is, or is that not something that an area you're interested in? I mean, there are some gazelles that are quite interested in that. I don't have the time of day for that, so I just end up having the professionals take care of that. Yeah. Certainly in the UK, there was, there's always been a, a, a sort of a push uh, for women to be able to change, change tyres. And that's, I mean, that's always the classic but one. But YouTube's lovely. But that's the thing, because <laughs> I, I kind of feel like, and I, you know, I hesitate slightly to bring that up, but I kind of feel that's always been the stereotype. And I wonder how much of a stereotype is that still? Is, is that something that you feel most women now would be very I comfortable mean, doing? We're living in Dubai, right? That's the difference. Here, one app, one call, one something, and five minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, you're, you're sorted. Yeah. In the UK, it's different. Or in the US, it's different. I mean, the US is vast, right? It's the city. It supports a lifestyle like that. And it supports you having a supercar or having any car and being able to get it fixed yeah. at different price points and uh, at different uh, timings. And it's not something that I felt that it was a mandatory thing for me to learn, but there are some gazelles that are really into that from an in-depth perspective. Yeah. Also, don't forget, it's because back in the day, women were just given the key, this is my car, you will be driving it to go and get groceries. This would be from the dad, right. the bro, the husband, whoever it is. Nowadays, it's like, I bought this car. I need to take care of it. I love my car. So she will figure out what to do and where to do it. But even guys nowadays, like I tell you, my brother, my cousins do not know how to change tires. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think, yeah, especially out here, I think it's so easy just to get it's something else to do. It's the UAE. It's the way that we are. I mean, you, you get your tank filled, you know, at a petrol yeah. station. You don't need to get out of the car yeah. and fill up your tank, you know, even in the middle of August. You know what I'm saying? So it's a diff- it's, it's, it's infrastructure is different here. And what, what would you say then to young women who are listening to this, maybe thinking about uh, or, tr- or studying for their license or thinking about buying their, their first car? Would you give advice to them? I would say that really they have to be careful when they're driving and really understand their cars and really understand what kind of a driver they are. And uh, from there, they can start developing their personality and what kind of a driver they intend to be. Not just getting a car and saying, you know what, I can get a Ferrari, I can get a Lamborghini, but not understanding what kind of a driver. If you're timid, don't just get a Lamborghini for the sake of getting a Lamborghini, which you do sometimes see happening here. My advice would be that they should figure out what kind of a driver they are before they make any decision on what kind of car that they would want to get. Don't go for something fast just because you can afford it. Yeah, if you can't handle it, don't get it. Build it up. You need to build build it up just like you build your life and your personality and your career. You need to build up also how you drive. It can be very dangerous if you don't know how to, how to, what kind of a driver you are. 
Uh, let's talk about the future then as well. I mean, the UAE is always looking at the, not just the next 10 years, but the next 50 years. And, and there's a big push towards, um, you know, automation and driverless and, and obviously, you know, electric vehicles at the moment. You know, how do you, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you're, you're, you're keen for cleaner and sustainable vehicles. But how do you feel about elect, uh, autonomous vehicles and, and non, non-driver required vehicles? Autonomous, I don't know how I feel about it. I guess it would help when it comes from a public transport perspective because they'd be going on a fixed line almost like a train because there are some trains that are automated right around the world yes. but when it comes to, a, to cabs and other cars I don't know I think we still have a long while before Tesla decides to come up with something uh, interesting from that perspective or accurate and safe from that perspective do you kind of look forward to the day when you're no longer required to be behind the wheel no, no. I love driving I can't That's it, it? yeah no I can't I can't imagine I'm a bad passenger. I'm a really bad passenger. Imagine seeing nothing next to you. <laughs> you know, driving the car. Forget yeah. it. Not happening. <laughs> Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure having you today. That was uh, Garda Sawalna. She's the CEO of Gargash Hospital. Uh, more importantly, she's a member of the Arabian Gazelles. That's the all-woman supercar club here in uh, the UAE. And it's incredible. Her grandmother was the very first women woman driver uh, in Dubai um, such a, an amazing inspiration for her own passion in cars as well and we're going to be joining a lot more car clubs uh, over the next uh, weeks and months here on Motormania fix it or flip it Matthew Davidson is the head of motoring at Dubizzle Pro and he joins us now on the line good morning Matthew morning Ray how are you yeah good busy couple of weeks yeah, uh, as uh, Damien and everyone else has been talking about this morning, things really have picked up since the weather has cooled down and changed. Lots of people going out on drives. I mean, there's real energy back in the city at the moment. Yeah, it's an exciting time. And I just wondered, would you have you ever felt that sort of jealousy of, of one of your neighbor's cars? Uh, for sure. Who, who hasn't? Yeah. Um, you know, I've got, uh, I'm, I'm blessed that I'm in the car world, so I get to see each and every type of make and model. And there's some amazing cars out there. Um, I'm, I'm always uh, gravitating to anything new that I haven't seen before because I'm always fascinating is technology particularly in the last couple of years, has moved forward so quickly. Mm, absolutely. Well, we're running that poll on uh, Dubai I1038FM on Twitter, currently leaning 85% in favour of no, which kind of surprises me because this is a city with so many beautiful cars um, that you know we sort of see all around us. Uh, you, know, you know, I'm surprised that more people are not experiencing that jealousy. Um, Matthew, later on, I'm going to be chatting. Uh, you'll hear my conversation with one of the Arabian gazelles. But you're actually part of a supercar club yourself the supercar majlis how long have you been a member of those yeah so i've been with supercar majlis the last couple of years i, I got a mclaren so that that gave me entry uh, into the club yes. there's certain car makes and models that that you have to qualify like mclaren ferrari um some of the top end porsches etc but mm. this is an amazing club that that really uh it, it, in my opinion anyway it personifies what the car culture is in the UAE. Um, we do amazing drives up the mountains. We go coast to coast. But more importantly for me, we'll take our cars to somewhere like City Walk. We'll park them and we'll let everybody come and enjoy them, come and see the cars. Um, as a young guy that was always into to cars since I could literally walk, there's nothing better than seeing, say, uh, 
a young person come along and you can open the door, let them sit inside, and they have a, a smile on their face. It's priceless. I mean, yeah. that's what I love about this city. Everybody is so into giving back. Um, and when you go somewhere and you see a hundred supercars lined up, you don't see that anywhere, no. anywhere in the world. It's it's truly amazing. And wherever you see them, you see tourists taking pictures and and just p- people enjoying them. Aside from obviously the owners of the cars, but the you know it, it's something for for everybody to enjoy. The reason you're on the program, uh, as always, is fix or flip. Uh, you're going to give some advice to our listeners on whether they should keep their car or maybe uh, sell it. So uh, Yasir gave us a call last week. I have a Mitsubishi Pajero top end model, which I bought in 2016 and clocked roughly around. 72,000 kilometers there's no major accident what's the market value if you could please help see it's not difficult and then Matthew will give you his expert advice 04871 and we've got a a text in from Ronnie uh, Matthew and he has got a a Lexus rather LS 460 it's a 2015 it's a four door black uh, very clean uh, runs nicely and only 77,000 kilometers fix or flip Oh, well, well, definitely, definitely fix and, and hang on to that car because mm. they're, they're relatively desirable here. And that car in the market at the moment's probably around 110, 115,000 dirhams. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, these cars, they run and run. I mean, you can repair them relatively cheaply. I mean, Lexus is essentially uh, a Toyota. So, um, yeah, I would definitely keep that. Absolutely. Is, and what about Lexus as a whole? Is, is that a, a, a make of car that kind of retains its value quite well? Yeah, of course. I mean, they are the Lexus is the uh, luxury arm of Toyota. Um, so you've got all that history, pedigree, pedigree and reliability. Um, but it's the luxury end. And, and, and you, you see a lot of Lexus here because they are luxurious, but they're reliable. Um, there's plenty of luxury cars out in the market, but they're not so reliable. But the, the Lexus takes a lot of the boxes that people want out here in the UE. And a group of Lexus is a Lexi? Or is that just something I saw at a comedy show? I think now, <laughs> now, we're, now we're straying, we're straying slightly off. Yeah, we, yeah, could exactly. be on the, we could be on the phone all day. Exactly. Uh, Annika messaged in to 4001. She's got a 2013 uh, Kia Optima EX, uh, fully loaded, Annika says. It's got a panoramic roof, uh, 2.4 GDI engine, uh, US specs, 160,000 kilometers. So um, quite high on the kilometres. Um, all original, though, the airbags, original paint, excellent condition, but um, she's feeling inclined to sell. What would you say? Yeah, it's at that, that age now. I mean, the, the Korean brands, uh, Hyundai and Kia, they, they've come a long way in the last few years, but that's a seven-year-old car. The mm. kilometres are getting up there, and it's a, a US spec import. Um, it's time to move that car on. I would say late teens for that car, something like eighteen, nineteen thousand. You'll get for it. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, the, the more uh, newer Kias and particularly Hyundai, as I said, the Korean brands, they, they're getting so fantastic now. Um, so maybe it's if you like the brand Kia, maybe just step up to a. Uh, a slightly newer model, a 17 or an 18, but yeah, time to move this car. Talk to me about um, the longevity of Kia as well, because, you know, obviously the the thing about Kia's is that the the um, the parts expenses is is fairly low. And, and is that something that we are seeing the prices just coming down and down on, on parts and maintenance? Yeah, for sure. I had a friend that approached me and he, he was talking about a small uh, 
SUV or a crossover to buy. And he ended up buying a Kia Sportage. It's one of the ones that I recommended to him. Mm. And he said, I'm a bit worried about servicing it at the dealer and the cost. I said, go and service it at the dealer and see what it, what it costs. He paid 490 dirhams for a service there. Mm. Um, there's no way you should worry about um, servicing these cars. They're, they're really getting to a point now where they're so affordable to run. Um, and, and the newer models, they're, they're really stylish, some of the new Kias and Hyundais that are coming out. I mean, look at the Stinger, the Kia Stinger that you've, you might have seen, which is uh, their sports car. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing a fantastic job. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Vilesh has messaged in Ford Focus hatchback. Uh, it's uh, got EcoBoost GCC 2017, um, single owner, uh, perfect condition, and it's got full uh, service history with Altaya. But uh, the last service was done in the dealer at eighty nine thousand kilometers. Fix or flip? Um, you want to keep that car at the moment for sure. That's a car that I would look at selling in a couple of years, unless you need to sell it because you want to move on to something else, I would keep it only three years old. If you did sell it, you'd be looking at maybe twenty-six to 28,000 dirhams. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to get something as good around that money. Um, you know the car. Um, keep it. Do not sell that right now. Fix it or flip it. And Matthew, we had a question in from a father and son. They're listening right now. Uh, this is Ihab and his son. Uh, they heard you talking about Lexuses. Here's what they had to say. Hi, this is Ihab. Yasin is with me, my son. Hi. We're wondering, I've got my dad's car. It's a Lexus 2000 LS400. I, I keep thinking about uh, selling it or giving it a new home. My son just loves it, and he always tells me to keep it. He wants to drive it when he gets uh, 18. He's 16 now. My problem is I can't find parts. You know, it's a great car, but what do you think? What should I do? Advice, please, Matthew. Yeah, it's a great question, actually, because it's, it seems sometimes logical to keep a car, but as it gets much, much older, uh, then you will have a parts issue. Uh, there, there are specialist Lexus garages and dealers here. I'm talking about um, pre-owned aftermarket dealers, and they can get those parts over from Japan. Um, and I think I would probably have a search around on the internet and look at, look at that option and speak to a few people and see if it's possible to get the parts in. That car, it, the, the issue you've got, it's a great car. It's worth maybe, I don't know, 16 to 18K. Mm. Um, but particularly... Uh, something that you, your son really loves as well. That's, that's quite important as well. So I'd try and make it work before I moved it on. But if it's going to be an issue with parts, et cetera, then, then you will have to sell it and, and then maybe hand it over to somebody that's a, a bit more, um, have some more tenacity that can go out and find these parts. But it, it is possible to keep them running, but you, you've got to get out there and search for the people that can help you. That's it. It can be a, a bit of a tricky uh, search for those parts. Brenda is uh, listening, and she's messaged in as well, Matthew. Okay, so it's a Ford Edge 2010. I bought it brand new. Um, I've taken really um, great care of it, only going to Ford for the servicing, and I'm at I'm at 15, 3,000 miles. No accident. So should I take it back to America with me or sell it? <laughs> take it back to America or sell it, Matthew? Well, you, if it's GCC, you can't take it back to America. Mm. Um, if it was a U.S. import that was here, you could take it back. But because of the strict regulations there, the cost of just getting it through approvals, etc., would be way more than the car. So that's out of the, oh, really? out of the window. 
Yeah, yeah, you cannot take, you cannot do it and unless it's over 25 years old and that's considered a classic and then you can get it into the country. So that's already out of the window. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm telling you, I've not met many people that have a 10-year-old Ford Edge, which mm. they own from new. They have serviced exclusively with Ford Altea and I, I think she said, Brenda said 15 thousand kilometers I th- well i think i think it was fifth one thousand wasn't it i think that's what even, she was saying yeah, even if it's 150 that's that's still not bad but that that car will be if you want to sell it that car will be incredibly desirable mm. uh to somebody and it will sell I, I know that if you put that ad on the bizzle and you just said that single owner for full ford history uh that car is going to sell really quickly and probably for around i would say late teens maybe uh, 18, 19,000. So you're not going to have a problem selling it, but I would keep that until, until you leave the UAE because that's, uh, that's a mini little gold mine that you've got there. Yeah, and Brenda just messaged in on 4001. She said she's lost the reception in the mall, but she hopes she can get her answer uh, later. So uh, uh, maybe we'll have to send that message through to Brenda. Um, this person has got a 2014 Audi A4S line with the blackout package and 19 rotor wheels stock. Mechanically sound. Uh, electricals are sorted. Fix or flip it's 125 kilometers um and wanting your advice matthew yeah well the kilometers aren't too bad actually for a car that's essentially six years old um those cars generally will sell around forty thousand dirhams mm-hmm. um but if it's if it's running well if it's mechanically sound i'd keep that car for now anyway maybe squeeze another year 18 months out of it um, but yeah, if there's no problems with that car for now, I'll keep it definitely. Cause it's a nice looking car, beautiful looking car. Is there like a sweet spot in terms of age for, you know, sort of moving a brand new car on, uh, you know, is it sort of the, at the two, the three year, the four year mark, or does it really vary depending upon, um, the, the make and the model? I think with close to 30 years in the industry now, that's the number one question I always get asked. Mm. And the, 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 the correct answer is based on a car having a five-year five year warranty, you want to keep the car up until year four because then um, you want to buy it actually after 18 months old. You don't want to buy it new. You want to buy it after 18 months old and you want to sell it after year four. So you want to own it for the two and a half years in, in the middle. Mm-hmm. The reason why, the first 18 months takes the biggest hit of depreciation. You've missed that. You're then in a lovely period where it's under warranty and it still feels new and drives great, etc. And then when you come to sell it, you're still selling it with a year's warranty and it's still a relatively new car at four years old. Mm. That, that, that gap between 18 months old and four years, you will lose the least amount of money. That's it. And the warranty continues. Message here, again, no name. Uh, Honda CRV, 119,000 kilometers. It's a 2012. Fix or flip? 190 or uh, did you 119. say... Okay, and sorry, what was the year? It's a 2012. Okay, so these cars are very popular here, CRV, mm-hmm. um, particularly when it gets to 2012 because... That's really coming into a point where it's quite affordable. Those cars, believe it or not, even at that age and those kilometers will still be anything between 32,000, 34,000 dirhams. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get good money for it now, but I'd actually say sell. And the reason being is this is uh, 
the, the highest its value is going to be once it gets towards 10 years old in two years, it's going to start dropping now. So if you want to move on and get something different, you're still going to get 32, 34,000 dirhams now to time to sell. Okay, so that's the advice on there. Imad has been uh, driving around listening to Motormania and he stopped to ask Matthew this question. I have an Audi S3 2016. It has 62,000 kilometers on it. Uh, it has full service history from Audi. It is under warranty till next year. My question is, is it a keeper or should I move on to uh, something else? Okay, Audi S3, I think it's a 2016 fix or flip. Yeah, a um, lot of fun, two-liter four-cylinder turbo. They have a nice, they have a nice uh, DSG gearbox and a nice crack when you, uh, when you change gear under acceleration. They're a lot of fun, those cars. They're, they're, they're selling for around 60000 at the moment. Mm. Uh, actually, in 2016, Audi bought a lot of those cars into the region. Um, uh, they were registered, actually, in 2015. A lot of them came in the summer of 15. Um, but it's, if it's still just under warranty, that is a good time to sell because it makes it a lot more palatable for somebody that's looking to buy one if you can sell it with a little, little bit of warranty left over. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a good time to sell while you've still got warranty because there can't be much left if it's a if it's a sixteen. So sell, and you're looking to get probably around sixty, maybe even sixty five thousand. Okay, sixty five k coming your way, Ibad. If you sell, uh, message here, no name again. Uh, Golf GTI twenty twelve. It's got one hundred fifty thousand kilometers on the clock. It's been owned since new and serviced by agents with no major issues. Fix or flip? Golf GTI twenty twelve. Yeah. So when I speak to a lot of expats that move here uh, in Europe, particularly, it was always a, a car that we all wanted to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but we never really could afford one because of this stupidly high insurance that exists. Um, and, and so you're, you're, you've got a large following, particularly when they get into that kind of age. You're looking around anything between 27,000, 28,000, maybe if you're really lucky, 30,000 for that car. Um, yes. A good time to sell. Again, it's, it's an eight-year-old car. You could probably squeeze one more year, but you need to, to get out of it before it starts giving you problems. But great car um, and a lot of people chasing after them. That's it, because uh, you mentioned the insurance. In England we or UK, we used to refer to it as the uh, GTI, the guaranteed theft item. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, sure well, I'm, I'm actually I'm old enough to remember the, the 80s cars like the Cosworths and the uh, Ford uh, Escort RS turbos. And they, they used to get stolen for fun. And the insurance was always more than the value of the car. It was insane. Yeah, absolutely. Before before we go to the next break, though, uh, let's take this message from uh, Mohammed. He says he's got a Volkswagen GTI uh, 2.0. It's a 2014, 150,000 kilometers on the clock. Uh, it's the mid option, and it is uh, the original paint, no accidents, new tires recently. It's got the full service history um, at Ali and Sons. Uh, he is actually looking to sell, though, would like to know what he can get for it. So, we, you know, we just spoke about the GTIs. We're, we're stepping up. We're, mm. we're going two years younger. And you're, you're looking around forty-five for that car, 45000 mm. uh, I would I would certainly advertise it on the Bizzle for forty-five. 
see how the market reacts, but you should do quite well and, and get that price. Yes, this is Motormania with myself, Ray Addison, and we've got Matthew Davidson here from Dubizzle taking your messages. Should you fix or should you flip your car? And we've got a message here from Dave. Hi there. I'd just like to ask, um, I have a Kia Sorento 2013, and it's done 174,000 kilometres. I'm just wondering whether to hang on to it. It's in really good condition. Uh, whether I hang on to it or change it for another model. Another uh, Kia for you there, Matthew. Yeah, we're back with the Kias and, and a similar age to the one earlier, different Kia, of course, but mm. uh, 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 2013. Um, these cars, they will fetch around 28, 30K. I would keep it if, if it's running really well. Mm. I would really keep it because the thing is with the Sorento, it's, it's kind of a little, it reminds me a little bit um, of like the Ford Edge. Um, you know, it's a, it's a small little SUV crossover, yep. um, really reliable. Um, yeah, if it's, if, it's, if it's running okay, keep it for now. Maybe see if you can squeeze another year out of this car before you move it on. Okay. Hope that helps you, Dave. Uh, Colin called in. I have a Jeep Grand Cherokee. It's uh, 2014. It's a dark gray color. I absolutely love my car. I'm single owner been serviced by the dealer fully and there's no issues whatsoever no damage whatsoever but i recognize it's starting to get on a little bit now question of whether i should flip it or keep it thank you what do you say matthew yeah there's a lot of variants of the the grand cherokee limited overland summit so we we don't know what it is but i think the question is more more easier to answer because he asked you know should i move it on now Mm. it's six years old it's going to be out of warranty um, they can be expensive if they go wrong. Um, still one of the most popular uh, selling cars on the Bizzle, the Jeep Grand Cherokee. Yes. Up there with the likes of the Pajero. So there's a lot of cars out there and a lot of people like these cars. Um, I would say, yes, start to think about moving it in the next six to 12 months for sure. Would you say there are certain uh, brands of cars which are actually retain their value better because we have this amazing desert around us which can be enjoyed? You know, it, it would perhaps the Jeep retain its value longer in, in, here in the UAE than it might do in the UK? Um, Jeep wranglers maybe more so than the grand cherokee uh i mean the king of retaining value is the toyota prado the land cruiser prado yeah it 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 always baffles me when i see them six seven years old and they're still commanding prices like 75 80k for the for the top of the range vxrs so i mean the king of retaining value for sure is the prado buy a prado uh, one year old, 18 months old, and, and drive it for a few years and barely lose any money. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, Schubert has uh, given us a quick call. He's driving towards Hatter. Um, and uh, stay tuned, Schubert, because we're going to be chatting about off-roading a little bit later on. Here's what Schubert had to say. I've got a Dodge Durango 2014 model. It uh, doesn't have any issues with anything as such. Uh, I wanted to know whether I should uh, sell it off now. It has done uh, 120,000 kilometers. Dodge Durango 2014, uh, 120K. Yeah, I mean, a big, big thing to know with the Durango is they come with a V6, which is a 3.6 liter. Um, the ones after 2012 came with the, the Pentastar engine, the same as they use in the, in the Jeep Wranglers, actually, which is a, a really fantastic engine. And then they do a bigger V8 of 5.7 Hemi. Um, if it's the V6, 
it, it will um, be worth a, a considerably lot less. Um, I actually prefer that engine, but people prefer the power here. So you may be looking around 45k for that car. Um, again, it's it's right at that age limit, six years old, out of warranties, etc. So um, if you fancy a change, I would say now's the time to move it on. You're still going to get relatively good value for it and, and it's time to uh, jump into something different. It's that magic number six. Uh, Gaith messaged yeah. in. He's driving on the Shakeside Road. Obviously, he's hands-free, but he made this call. Hi, I have a Porsche Cayenne 2012 model. It's got 122,000 kilometers on it. It's running very well in mint condition. Uh, I'm the second owner, and I'm wondering if I should keep it or sell it. Porsche Cayenne uh, 2012, 122K. Fix or flip? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people prefer the Cayenne S and the GTS. Um, the Cayenne is kind of uh, at the entry point. That one had, a, a again, a 3.6 V6 engine. Um, so you're looking around maybe 55000 for that car now, 60000 These can get very expensive when they go wrong, especially. I mean, Porsche do actually do up to a 10-year warranty, but it needs the owners to continually extend it. Once it's out of warranty, it's difficult to get it back in without spending a lot of money on the car. Um, I would be moving this car on now. Around the corner could be some quite hefty bills, so take the money and uh, flip this car. Gaif, get out while you can. Uh, the verdict is flip. Uh, Andy messaged in on 4001 to Motormania. He's got an Audi A7. It's a 2016 3.71 and it's got 33,000 kilometres on the clock. Fix or flip? Yeah, I mean, that's low for a four-year-old car. I mean, that's going to be really appealing if you put that out. I'm presuming it, it, it might be the three liter V6. They do actually a smaller uh, 2.8 um, Quattro engine. Yeah, I mean, I would say you're looking around with those lower kilometers, 110, 115. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you are thinking of selling it, it, it's going to be attractive. That's low kilometers. Anybody looking for that car um, will be very attractive. So. If, if the kilometers are going to stay low for the next year or so, then, you know, I think you could drive that car for another year, 18 months. You'll still be selling it with low kilometers and you'll still get a relatively good price. But um, e- either way, the kilometers are the big uh, sales feature for this car, for sure. Uh, we're rapidly running out of time, Matthew. Just a last one for you here. This is Mohammed. Great. I have a Land Rover LR3, uh, 2007. Has done about 313,000 kilometers. Has been running great and uh, been maintaining it, uh, even sending it to outside uh, every year for the annual checkup. Could I uh, flip it or sell it? Land Rover LSV 2007. Uh, I couldn't quite catch the mileage there, but I think it was in the 300s. Fix or flip? Uh, it, it's LR3. LR3. Yeah, so. The LR3 basically was fundamentally plagued with suspension issues and electrical problems, which is why when the LR4 came out, they were very similar in look and design because uh, everybody loved the car. They just didn't like the problems. Mm. Um, Into that age now, you're not going to get much money. I mean, it's fantastic that it's been maintained at Altea and it is problem-free, but I I can't believe it's going to be problem-free for much longer. Um, And those cars, they just don't get much money. They're they're changing hands for anything between 
uh, 18 and, and 22, 23,000 dirhams at the moment. So um, I know it's it's running fine at the moment, but if that suspension fails around the corner, 12, 14,000 to fix it. So, yeah, I, I would have to say move it on just because it's an LR3. 314,000 on the clock. Matthew, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, been a star and we've uh, got so many messages here. We're going to keep everyone's messages and if you didn't get your question answered this week, tune in in two weeks' time and we'll do our very best to answer them uh, on the next edition of Motor Mania. This is Motor Mania with Ray Addison. More coming up next on Dubai Eye 103.8. Joining us now is James Greenwood. Good morning, James. Good morning. How are you, Ray? Yeah, great to have you uh, here with us here on Motor Mania. You're the owner of EBC Express Auto Service, and um, you're here to give us some off-roading tips. Uh, so if uh, our listeners got any questions for you about uh, off-roading, maybe they're heading out for the very first time, they can give us a call on 04871 or text 4001. Now, do you, do you see a lot of off-roading disasters in your garage, James? Oh, every now and then we do. Um, I think it kind of depends on how everyone prepares themselves for it. Mm. But if you're going off-road, you're always going to have something go wrong. Um, you're kind of pushing your car to the limits. So <laughs> yes. Sad to happen. Why do you think it's such a, a popular activity here in the UAE? Well, personally, I think it's um, it's kind of people just like to get out and about. So something peaceful, something uh, some, some form of way to escape. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're kind of just getting out and about, friends, family, uh, nice gathering. And then, again, you're getting away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. So you kind of you can forget where you actually, where you live. Yes, absolutely. And people, uh, they, they get up early and they, they go out, It's especially on the weekends. That's that's really the, the time when when everyone goes. And do you tend to sort of uh, start getting calls around this time with, uh, with people who've encountered difficulties, motoring problems or accidents as well? Correct, yeah. It tends to be Saturdays mm-hmm. or Sundays are very busy. Okay. So it depends on how successful they've been over the weekend or how unsuccessful. So we'll either, if it's really bad, then we'll hear from them today. Yeah. If it's uh, not too bad, then it tends to be Sunday, Monday, get all the cars in because they ultimately would like to get their car ready for the next weekend so they can go out and have a bit of fun. Patch it up and go back out again. Absolutely. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and have you had, what about today? Have you had any uh, any disasters? <laughs> Funny enough, we have actually. Yeah, <laughs> someone went. Uh, someone went off road, and um, the transfer case decided to give way. So oh. he ended up having to get towed all the way back, and then uh, dropped the car off with us yesterday evening. And we're just currently looking at it. So is that is that is there sort of ample companies sort of there to to tow people out? Is that quite a sort of a, an easy thing if you if you get if you find yourself stuck out in the desert? There are a few companies that can do it. Mm. Um, it's is a difficult one. Ideally, um, you're going to be traveling in a group. So once you're quite deep into the desert or the wadis or anything like that, um, you need to kind of get to a place where it's safe to recover the car. So potentially friends will have to help you tow it to sort of a relatively flattish area. Yeah. Um, and at least you can get recovered safely. 
Well, uh, we've been asking you guys to give us a call on zero four eight seven one double five double zero, and uh, Nadia joins us on the line now. Uh, good morning, Nadia. I think you're about to head out um, and go and uh, off road. You want some advice from James? What would you like to ask? Good morning, Ray. Well, James, I was just going to ask. I've seen a lot about the Hatter pools and haven't actually got there yet. But my concern was, do you need a four-wheel drive to get there, or could you go in kind of just a small sports car? I don't fancy sort of wrecking the car and getting stuck somewhere and and, uh, and having to come and see you with a with a damaged car. Good morning, Nadia. So it depends on how how you want to look at it. So it depends on how extreme you want to go in. Hatter is actually quite a nice place for either doing a bit of off-roading or a bit of hiking. So you can drive there um, in a car and you can park up somewhere and kind of hike through the, the mountains. Or alternatively, if you do want to be a bit more adventurous, you can sort of, you will need a bit more of a 4 by 4 so to sort of get through the wadis and get over the bigger rocks and things like that. But it's not right. this, uh not a necessity so you could get away with driving down there and then parking up but still enjoying all the sights have you done much uh, off-roading yourself nadia i haven't actually no um i I haven't it's not something i've tried and every time uh in the year when the weather gets particularly nice i think we really must get out and then the time just disappears so no but i would like to do it i think it's something i've missed out on so it's definitely on the list of things to do do you you find it you know the idea of kind of going out there for the first time is it um is it a little bit intimidating in in terms of, you know, what could go wrong? I think from the point of view, um, some friends went out the other day and into the desert and they were saying, you know, you have to deflate the tyres and then you have mm. to re-inflate the tyres. And, uh, and I just thought, gosh, that all sounds terribly technical. And then, of course, they got stuck in the sand as well. And I just thought, oh, I'm not sure about this, really. <laughs> I'm yeah. not one for digging myself out of sand traps. But yeah. it just seemed, uh, I just thought if I don't know what I'm doing, then I don't want to end up being stuck somewhere in the middle of nowhere. That mm. was my concern, really. Is it important, James, to, to have um, to go out for that first time or first couple of times with somebody who's very experienced? Definitely. It's, to be honest, it's always recommended to go out with a, someone or a group. Uh, reason being, if one of the cars fails or if you do get stuck, at least there's someone there to support you. Mm. But I definitely wouldn't let a put you off because it is it's something that's going to be fun that is an adventure and the nice thing about it is if you are in a group there's always a way to get out you can always the other car can tow you out you can dig the car out and things like that so there's always sort of at least reassurance when you're in a group if you do it on your own then um yeah you problems could happen and that's when you can get get yourself into trouble yeah make and make sure people know where you're going and what time uh, you expect to be back make sure you ch- your phone is charged up as well nadia um hope you have fun with your off-roading adventures talk talk to me james about some of the um sort of common um mistakes that that people make should, you know should you have a recovery uh, gear with you in your in your car when you go out for the uh, every time you go off-roading that's correct really it's if you're going to go on any sort of adventure, you really want to make sure that the planning is, is done correctly. Because mm-hmm. um, ultimately, especially if you're going out to the middle of nowhere, so like you said, mobile phone is important. Sometimes the signal's not great, so you've got to make sure that you know your route, what's planned out. Um, and yeah, people will need to know where you are just in case you sort of disappear off the map for quite a while. Yeah. Um, tools and equipment is, is vital because you definitely need things like tow ropes, um, flags as well because if you're going into the deserts the when the dunes sort of get bigger uh 
you go over a dune and all of a sudden the car disappears. So yes. at least having a flag, it's kind of one of those really important safety features. And then plenty of water, really. So you don't want to be stuck um, anywhere without any water or maybe food, some snacks, and things like that. Also, think about what you're going to do. Is it is it going out for a day? Is it going out for the night? Um, have you got adequate food? And just make sure you don't sort of get caught short, really. Mm. What about sort of general car maintenance? Just making sure that um, the car is actually running properly, the, the water, the, the oil. Should you sort of inspect that yourself or, or at least have that inspected by a professional before going out? Maintenance side of it is extremely important. You should always be able to just do the basic sort of checks yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're going out off-roading quite a lot, I definitely recommend doing maintenance or having an expert check it out. So, for example, when you're going off-road, you are putting pushing the car a lot harder, so the oils will need to change more regularly, so you'll have to reduce the intervals. Yeah. Again, with all the vibrations and things like that, um, nuts and bolts can come loose, so you need to make sure that they're tight. And tire pressures, so tire pressures are key, depending on how fast you're driving off-road as well, potentially damaging suspension, alignment, things like that can all be knocked out. But if you have them checked regularly, you'll avoid any further damages or any sort of damage to the car, potential yeah. breakdown. Whenever I've gone off-roading, it's always been as part of a, a, a you know, paid-for sort of guy, professional tour. So I haven't been responsible for the, you know, the, the maintenance of the car or, or preparations. But obviously, bef- before we go onto the sand, the the tyres will be um, slightly deflated. Um, and so, you know, how easy is it to get access to, to that kind of equipment and to, to know the right um, uh, pressures to, to reduce your tyre pressure to? So deflating the tyres is quite easy. Um, you can get most of the equipment, even from petrol stations, they tend to have very basic equipment. Otherwise, um, certain shops will have that equipment so you can actually deflate the tyres to the correct pressures. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a relatively easy sort of scenario. It's more to do when you're coming out of the sand to make sure you're not driving down the road with low pressures in your tyres because that's yeah. when you will sort of cause potentially uh, have a blowout or especially in the extreme heat here. Do people forget you, uh, to do that, to, uh, to, to, to reinflate? They, they do, and I think it's also because the reinflating side of it is a bit harder and a bit more work, and you kind of want to just get home, so people will just tend to drive on their tyres. And with low inflated tyres, actually it's the worst thing for a vehicle is that's when you put the tyre under the most stress and potentially causing a blowout. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing a video recently where um, somebody had stopped on top of a dune and um, they were sort of just taking some pictures and another car just suddenly flew over and and sort of managed to break, looked like inches away from from this other vehicle. It's, you know, it it is a bit of a risky thing to do and you you have to kind of um, be on your guard. That's correct, especially if you're in, in groups because you tend to drive over dunes and someone will get stuck. And someone will come, turn around and come back to help that person. Mm. But you've got to be mindful of your surroundings. You've got to, it's really, really key that you don't turn around and go back on the same route that you're all driving on. Because otherwise, you'll have someone fly over a dune, uh, not see it, not know that you're there. And then you'll have a head-on collision. Yeah. And again, you just want to make sure that everyone's safe. It's really important that when you go out, you do use as much common sense as possible to make sure that you're keeping everyone safe because there are multiple people on the dunes at any one time. And it might be your group, it might be another group. 
So you've just got to be wary of that. And just quickly before we uh, let you go, James, because we're running out of time, what about um, the right kind of vehicles to take? Do you have a preference? Well, I think that kind of comes down to a person, really. Mm. For me, I like my Range Rovers and Land Rovers. A lot of people aren't overly keen with them going into a desert, so prefer their Jeeps and mm-hmm. uh, Toyotas and stuff like that. But it does also depend on what sort of off-roading you want to do and if it's, if it's modifications, if it's a certain look you want to go for. But I think it's really key. If you're going to buy a vehicle, make sure it suits what you want to do. But also when you do modifications, make sure you don't go over the top because you could end up sort of making a the vehicle more hazardous than what it actually needs to be. Absolutely. Uh, James Greenwood there, the owner of EBC Express Auto Service. Thank you so much for giving us uh, your expert advice on uh, off-roading. We appreciate that. And if you are heading out today, uh, be safe. Uh, make sure you go with uh, somebody who is experienced if you're going, going out for the very first time or make sure you've taken uh, all the safety precautions that you need to.